Hey, this is Malcolm Brogdon, and this is the Sideline Guys podcast. Hi, Pacers fans, and welcome into another Sideline Guys Wednesday. We are powered by GameBridge alongside Jeremiah Johnson. I'm Pat Boylan. You know, uh, JJ, if there's been one trend, maybe one theme to this season, and I brought it up on multiple podcasts, but it's a it's a trend, it's a theme that unfortunately the Pacers haven't been able um, to rid themselves of yet. It's on balance, the Pacers are playing pretty well. If you look at the statistics, the point differential, the net rating, um, they all suggest that the Pacers are playing at the level of a team that's over 500. But there's been one thing that has been bogging them down, and it's been um, playing close games and specifically playing close games on the road. So there's numerous ways that you can look at this statistic. Um, the way that I've chosen to do it, because this is how Mark and I do it on the radio broadcast, is by what the NBA calls a clutch game, which is games that are within five points in the last five minutes. The Pacers have played in 10 of those, an NBA high 10 of those on the road, and they're one in nine. You're going to lose a handful of these games, obviously, especially when they're on the road, but you want to be probably as close to 500 as possible. And unfortunately, we saw that theme strike again on Monday in Minnesota. Now, a very different game, I think, than a lot of these road games have been. This game against the Timberwolves, um, you know, the Pacers had a double-digit lead. They lost it. They were trying to storm back. There was chaos. There were technical fouls. DeMontis Sabonis was carrying the team on his shoulder with five fouls um, and staying in the game. So the game felt different, but ultimately, um, that similar theme arises again on Monday in Minneapolis. Yeah, I think it's now six road games that the Pacers have lost that have been decided by three points or less and maybe another one by four points. Uh, you, you lost by two because Keelan Martin made a shot um, as time expired last night. But it's it's almost if you said if you told someone that had not been watching a team, you almost would not believe it's possible to be on the short end of so many of those games. And, um, you know, I felt like probably Sunday afternoon as I analyzed the team they had won three of four I felt like they turned the corner after what happened at Charlotte and even maybe Detroit New York before that that three game I wanted to think that the three game road trip was the low mark and then they um, you know they had their eye-opening experience or the rallying cry after losing to Charlotte and and they were back on track and they had all these home games coming up but to lose the way you lost to Minnesota, the Bucks are the Bucks. Um, it's just kind of like, are you making progress in these close games? I keep waiting to do a walk-off interview and ask the question after one of these close wins, how have you drawn upon the experience of being in this situation, but yet we're not seeing it come to fruition? And that's, I guess, the part that I'm having the biggest issue with and struggling to... Uh, I, there's optimism because, as you mentioned, the point differential and some of the statistics would say they are a better team than their record indicates. But you're going to play a lot more close games moving forward. How do you finish some of them? Yeah, and, and that you know, it, it's one of those things where, like, as the season gets further along and this is still an issue, um, it becomes a bigger concern. I think in the first couple of weeks, I would have put my concern on this pretty low. Um, you know, over the course of a season, things like this tend to even out. Even the best teams tend to be only a game or two, maybe three or four above 500 in close games overall. You've got great players in the NBA close game. They tend to even itself out. And I still think it's going to. But here we are now, you know, as this podcast airs in the first day of December, and it's still a problem. It's been a problem, you know, now through a quarter of the season. So I think it becomes a bigger issue. For me, what's, what's harder to pinpoint is, like, the exact reason. Like, obviously, they're not 
doing well in these close games down the stretch on the road. Why is that? Um, there's not been one player that I would necessarily point out and say, um, this guy has really been struggled when the Pacers need him. Injuries have been an issue, but you've been healthier overall. Granted, no Miles Turner on, on Monday, but you've been healthier overall. So I guess it, it, for me, it's trying to pinpoint like exactly what's causing these. You've got a fairly veteran group. Um, you've got a team that in, in previous years, some of these players were on that were pretty good in these games. Um, so I, I guess if it's, if it's me, you're seeing a trend here. One that you hope starts to balance itself out, but it hasn't yet. And I'm struggling to pinpoint why it hasn't yet, other than just the fact that when you go to one thing for um, the reason the Pacers are 9 and 14 and maybe not something like 13 and 10, which some of those other stats suggest the Pacers might be more like a team like that, it's these late games and specifically these late games on the road. Let me throw it back to you and ask if you think this is something, because I hesitate asking a player or a coach this, because I feel like the automatic response is, no, we're in great shape. But do you see fatigue setting in in these games? And we saw it last year a lot. And even though uh, and I hate to I hate to kind of bring up last year because there were different issues and different dynamics. But I did feel like the style that they played, the heavy minutes that they often played their starters. At some point, guys wore down, and you saw the effects from that. And this is just one box score and one game, but it's fresh in my mind. And it's, you know, so I look at who played and how much they played against Minnesota. I didn't notice it watching that Malcolm Brogdon played a 40-minute regulation game. I mean, that's, he's basically on the court almost the entire time. And then you had 38 minutes from Justin Holiday. I don't worry about his um, ability to be ready to play, but for anybody that's a lot. And, uh, you know, 34 Levert, 36 Sabonis, and then TJ McConnell, who normally comes off the bench, is 34. Torrey Craig, someone that is not one of your best shooters, and you're struggling right now shooting, but would have been maybe, to me, someone you could have given some time, maybe on Towns, maybe, you know, help out a little bit defensively. Plays just six minutes. And, and I don't mean to say this, and I hope no one takes it the wrong way, that I'm questioning the rotations or saying this person should be playing more than this person. But we've seen not just the theme of struggling to close out games, but these third quarters, or whether it's third or fourth. I mean, we've seen both third quarter issues and fourth quarter issues. But in almost every game, there is this quarter that, from an offensive perspective, is hard to watch. You're seeing multiple, multiple shot clock under five. Hope you get a prayer answered and shot goes in. And it's just so opposite of what we see in the first half of these games. I mean, it's crazy. The Pacers are number one in the NBA in first half scoring margin. And I think 30th in the second half. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's 23 games in. So it's not something that you can, I, I don't know that you can automatically say, well, you know, that'll even itself out. It will even uh, itself out a little bit, you would think. But I do wonder if there's something to that. And if maybe fatigue and earlier in the season, maybe I think I would accept it a little bit more when you had multiple players out. You basically were down two of your top 10. But TJ Warren hasn't been a part of this team for almost, you know, 11 calendar months now. So I almost have removed him from my brain as far as players that are healthy or available or hurt. And you just didn't have Miles Turner. And I just wonder if. You, you play so well in these first halves. You go sit down. You relax just a little bit. And it's just hard to kind of get that going again. And I don't – if they if they had an explanation or a way they could fix it, it would have been done by now. But I do wonder, do you think fatigue is an issue? 
Yeah, it's an interesting point because to me, the third quarter feels like the biggest issue. I think statistically, um, you know, just quarter by quarter, the points you score, the points you give up, the stats would back that. So to me, like if there were to be a red flag on it being fatigue, I would expect that to be maybe the last six minutes of the game. And at the same point, like those last six minutes, especially on the road, have been areas where the Pacers struggle. But you look at a game like last night. Um, you know, they had a double digit lead in the third quarter that they lost and then they are down 90 to 81 with just under six minutes to go. And they actually get, you know, their way all the way back and they get the game tied at the end. So um, while the fourth quarter was by no means a positive for the Pacers, the back half of the fourth quarter, you know, when you look at it, at least from the perspective of right around the six minute mark, 90 to 81, and then the final score is 100 to 98. Um, you did a fairly good job in those final six minutes, uh, but you're right, you know, 40 minutes for Brogdon on a back to back, you know, maybe that is a factor. You just wonder what it is about, like if, if halftime didn't exist, if you went into this, if you ended the second quarter and you treated them like the other quarters and you went right into the third, would that third quarter be as much of an issue as it is? And I think if there is one trend in these games, like a lot of these road games have been different. Um, but it's felt like there have been a bunch that fall into the category of you, you were describing it in part there earlier. Good first half. You're satisfied, you know, where you are at halftime from the Pacers perspective. Um, you know, they were up by nine points um, at halftime against Minnesota and they get the, the lead up to double digits in the third quarter early on in that third quarter. But then the third quarter, something happens and it's not always right away either. Like sometimes the first few minutes of the third quarter are good, which makes this even more puzzling um, case in point last night. Uh, and then at some point in the third quarter, things start to drop off and the Pacers have had numerous leads around 10 points, sometimes more than 10, sometimes seven, eight, nine in these road games that they're losing in the third quarter. And then they're putting themselves in a position where they're trying to come from behind in the fourth quarter. So, yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that. Like I don't see the game at a high enough level. Um, and there's nothing that is really glaring to me as to what would cause this. The Pacers don't have the quote unquote superstar. So, you know, you, you look at the Lakers game wasn't a road game, but you look at the Lakers game and you say, you know, LeBron did some pretty crazy stuff down the stretch. And I don't always, you know, I don't mean to say that you're helpless in that scenario, but it, sometimes when you lose a close game, it's tip your cap to a, a superstar going off. But I'm not sure I've seen that a ton this year. And the Pacers, you know, have plenty of veteran leadership on this team. So you're at a weird point in the season where, on one hand, like this isn't small sample size land in the, anymore, but on the other hand, what you've done in terms of how many games you played, you're going to do it three more times. So there's still a ton of the season left, too. So you're kind of in this middle ground of like, well, you can't just chalk it up to weirdness over five games because you've played 23 now, but um, you still have 59 games remaining. So a ton of time to correct it and a ton of time for some of these things uh, you know, to find their level, if you will. But they do. They become more concerning, I think, with each podcast that we have um, where these topics are still an issue. You know, one thing one thing I did want to say and, and look, the Pacers have lost three or four going in to recording this, um, you know, a frustrating last couple of games as well. I do want to bring up a positive because this would have been, I think, just one of the moments that stood out maybe at the end of the season had the Pacers won this game and they didn't win this game. So I'm not necessarily suggesting it should. Um, but nonetheless, that was a remarkable fourth quarter from DeMontis Sabonis. I mean, 
it the the guy had five fouls for most of the fourth. The Pacers were, uh, you know, coming back from behind. And Sabonis, like his ability to stay aggressive and get as many rebounds and points, and he drew like three fouls during that time um, and put the Pacers in a position to win. He, 16 points, 10 assists, 25 rebounds. You've seen that stat. Uh, what is it? Is it Hakeem and Shaq? I, I think where the last couple of guys to do this. I didn't want to go too far into this without at least touching on that because I thought that was just a phenomenal effort by Sabonis. I mean, the the line you have to toe to be as aggressive and effective as he was and not commit a sixth foul um, was just so impressive to me. And it's disappointing that it wasn't able to be the prevalent storyline because the Pacers weren't able to win. But nonetheless, I thought it, it deserves some due. It does. I was set to do another walk-off interview with Domas. I mean, I just thought the effort that he showed, and I'm sure he personally felt bad or felt frustrated with how he played against the Bucks. It was a one of those rare games where, you know, I think he, Domas has been so consistent. Miles Turner has been more consistent, I think, this year than he has in previous seasons. So most games, you've seen some solid combination production from those two, and I think they combined for just six points and maybe – three for 14 or something like that. I don't have the the box from Saturday or Sunday in front of me, but uh, it was one of those games they were due for uh, a bounce back. So I had a really good feeling Domas would have a good game. Um, the only thing that's worth noting to me is, is, you know, he's five for 12. He had 10 assists. So to me, that's where you need to get back to is, is Domas playmaking. You, you put the ball in his hands more, but you allow him to utilize his passing skills but tip of the cap to the rebounding because the effort that he showed and the restraint that he was able to show in the fourth quarter, I don't know how you can fault him. You know, I'm sure he, if he looked back, he wished he would have hit one of those three pointers, maybe over four. And that's maybe the area of his game that if he could just get a little more consistent there, um, it would really make him impossible to guard, but I good observation from you. And, and really, I feel like this is maybe the third consecutive season that it's really started with, seeing Brogdon and Sabonis carry this team. Now, I think each of the last two seasons, uh, they started better each of the last two seasons. And uh, there was at least a point where if a Pacer makes the all-star team, which one is it? And I think for each of the last two seasons, it was, a, you know, Brogdon or Sabonis. And then Brogdon has had injuries to where he hasn't played enough to even be considered. And Domas is now a two-time all-star. And if you ask me right now, I'm not optimistic, you know, that they would get one because of their place in the standings. But I would say if there is, it's one of those two again, obviously. And I think both of them are doing what they need to do. Maybe just around the edges, a little more consistency is needed. And the other thing that I guess I'll point out um, in my final look back at the, the week that was is just the three-point shooting. I think of, um, during another stretch this season where they struggled shooting, I asked Rick Carlisle if there was anything – that could be done or that he noticed. And I think you even asked him the same question last night um, in the post game zoom. And to me, he said, you know, maybe we should, we could step into our threes a little bit more. Um, but the key is to make sure more of those are good looks. And I thought Jenny Busick had a good uh, conversation or analysis comment to me at halftime on Sunday. And in, you know, at halftime, I think the Pacers had shot 26 threes against the bucks. And so it was obvious Milwaukee, is going to allow you to do that. You've got to make them, you know, not let you shoot those by knocking more down. And and her point was that's what they 
that's what their defense is designed to let you do. But you've got to make sure those are good looks, that they're the ones that you really want. And they're of the 26. Who knows? She says we need better looks. Um, some of them were, you know, some of those that I mentioned, the end of the shot clock, or maybe even some a little too quick. Uh, there's that fine line between, you know, getting a good shot, but not waiting too long. But also, you know, you don't necessarily want a three off of zero passes. So uh, to me, that's probably the one area that I'm most optimistic. You know, you shoot 34, 35%. And I think you beat the Timberwolves and you probably beat the Lakers as well. Yeah, and I mean, look, you've got you're doing some things that I think um, if you can secure up these loose ends and these close games, look, the record at nine and 14 is not where you want to be through 23 games. It's also not a point where you're so far into a hole that you can't dig yourself out. We got six straight home games coming up, and that's going to be a great opportunity. Now, granted, none of those games are are gimmies by any means. There are six pretty good opponents that are coming in, and in a couple of cases, at least one case, great opponents. Um, but you have played a ton more road games. You know, you have been injured. Um, the the defense as a whole is improving, which I think is a, is a positive to see, and the rebounding has been good. The other point I kind of wanted to make here is Karis LeVert. Um, he didn't have a good game on Monday, but he had probably his two best games of the season the previous two games. As the Pacers have gotten healthier, I think you've seen some people say, well, um, you know, they don't have Warren, but they've had most everybody else here for a little bit now. Why aren't we seeing the improvement? And, and you know, it, it's a fair question to ask. But one thing I wanted to, to make a point of is we haven't seen Karis LeVert, save for a few games, at the consistent level that he was for the final month and a half last season. He's averaging um, six points less per game than he did for the Pacers last season. And this was something that happened last year, too. And now he had an extreme, extreme situation last year, uh, you know, coming back from uh, more or less, you know, it, it was it was cancer. And it was something they caught early, um, but still not an easy scenario. This is a back injury, so it's a different situation. And he's playing earlier in the year. But as I was looking at some of his stats, I'm seeing what has the potential um, to be a trend, which is. It takes him a little bit when he doesn't start when everybody else starts to get into gear. And hopefully that's starting to change. So um, when, when you look at Levert, it was right around the 14-15 game last year when he really started to turn things around. Uh, he was averaging the first 13 games last year, 16 points per game on 40 percent shooting. And the first 13 games this year. 14 points per game on 40% shooting. He then went over the next 13 games to score 23 points per game, nearly 50% from the field. I do overall think he looks better. Monday, you know, was was a step back, at least as it relates to him stringing together good games. But the, it's not like you're seeing anywhere near a finished product here from a Pacers perspective. Like you've had Brogdon, Sabonis healthy, Turner missed last game. So you've had those three, Brogdon, Sabonis, and Turner mostly healthy. You haven't had Warren and you haven't had the Karis Levert that you hope to have later in the year. So as you're looking at areas where the Pacers can sure things up, obviously these late game scenarios are the most important, but I don't think necessarily they're anywhere near their ceiling just from the perspective of we haven't seen the Karis Levert that we saw down the stretch. And I think there's reason to hope that, um, you know, maybe he could follow a similar trend as he did last year, which was slow start, took him maybe a month to, get into gear, and then he starts taking off. So from that perspective, I'm really interested to watch Karis LeVert here in the month of December. I think it's a big one for him. 
And think about this. I was just kind of thinking back to the last time I watched this team actually practice. Now, they had a practice on Saturday uh, before the Bucks game. But prior to that, I'm not sure when the last practice was. It probably was at some point on that road trip. And so you, if you go back to when Karis LeVert joined the team and then he had the, the flare up or, you know, he missed a couple of additional games on the West Coast trip. I wonder how many practices, full practices where you actually can get some run in and maybe work on some things, build some chemistry. How many times has Karis LeVert actually practiced with these guys this season? And I know people would maybe say that's overrated. They're NBA players. And some of these guys, a lot of these guys he played with last year, but it's a different system. And I do think no matter the level of basketball that you're at, sometimes there is nothing better for a team than to get in the gym and have a good hour and a half to two hour practice and really fine tune some of the things that you need to improve on. Now, I know they're in the gym shooting. And so um, some of those shooting numbers are problematic because, you know, why are they not shooting as well from outside the arc? But there is an opportunity moving forward where there are more practice. There are, they're going to have more practice. I'm going to, I'm looking forward to seeing a couple of practices just because I do feel like at this point, the last two or three weeks, I feel, um, and this is totally inside baseball and it doesn't matter to wins or losses. And it probably doesn't even matter to most viewers, but I feel kind of disconnected right now because of all the road games. And then because of not seeing a practice and even at before a game, there's this kind of dynamic of, you know, how close can I even get to an assistant to actually ask them a question? And uh, what am I seeing at, you know, some of the shooting sessions? So um, I think some practice will do this team some good. They're, the December schedule leaves a lot of reasons to be excited. I'm looking forward to it. Although <laughs> no one can just look at the schedule and say, oh, well, they've got six in a row at home. And, uh, you know, there's a nice stretch where they've got one game in six or seven days. Everything's going to magically be fixed because <laughs> – as you analyze who they play in these home games, it's going to be tough. You've got to bring it. And if you don't make some serious progress in the next two or three weeks, then I'm not sure the discussions we're having on the podcast, but I would say that there are going to be some big time decisions to be made. Yeah. You know, you allowed me on my soapbox and to go on a little <laughs> soliloquy last week of uh, the importance of the schedule ahead. Um, I was looking at it from a nine or 10 game perspective, you're three or four into that. But I think the most important stretch of the season is coming up. I'm not suggesting if these next six games don't go well, that you need to pack up shop or anything like that, but you've got six games coming up. All six of these teams are over 500 and golden state is the best team in the league right now. So all six opponents will be tough. They'll be good measuring stick games, but you're going to be back at home. And the Pacers have been a good home team this year. If you look at their struggles, um, almost all of them revolve around their play away from Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Important to get fixed. Extremely important to get fixed on the balance of the season. But you're going to go from today that you and I are recording this, November 30th. Um, and then this podcast obviously will air on the first where the Pacers will play Atlanta. If you're listening to this on, on a game day and they will go from November 30th until uh, December 14th until they have to travel again. So two weeks over two weeks where they're going to be at home, plenty of practice opportunities and plenty of opportunities to um, keep that high level of play rolling. So I'm not saying this is a do or die stretch of the schedule, but what it is, is an opportunity to really get, you know, rolling a little bit, maybe get that chemistry improved a little bit through practices you discussed. 
um, and, and get yourself out of this, uh, you know, kind of mini hole you've dug yourself in. You're five games under with six road games coming up. With the opponents on the schedule, you'd love to go 6-0. It's going to be really tough. You've got a good team in here every night. It's not like, um, you know, you're facing a bunch of the bottom teams in the league over this stretch of schedule. So that needs to be noted, too. Uh, but you've played so many road games and you've played so many games as a whole. I don't think any team has played more road games or any uh, or more games total than the Pacers have. The month of December is lighter. The Pacers are going to go three weeks without playing on the weekend. Um, you know, they're going to get more time in between games and they're going to get more home games, too. So um, this is a, their first real opportunity, I think, to start to make. A surge, but again, Atlanta, Miami, Washington, New York, Dallas, Golden State, none of those games um, are easy. Then you go to Milwaukee, um, and, ah! and then you've got uh, Miami still in there. So, you know, the opponents are still very difficult, but I do think this is a stretch of schedule. Talking about Karis LeVert, you hopefully get Miles Turner back. Um, I, I view this as important of a two weeks as any two weeks of the season. I do, and I look forward to seeing a lot of the fans. At Gambridge Fieldhouse, and you're right. I mean, three home losses this season, correct? Or four? Two four. to the Bucks, two to Milwaukee, yeah. one to uh, the Raptors, and then one to the Lakers. Uh, you're done playing the Bucks at home, so <laughs> good. And you're almost done playing the Raptors overall, which I'm I'm good with. Yeah, glad the Pacers could get the win um, on Gold Friday. That was probably one of the better uh, moments and atmospheres of the week. And then obviously. Uh, the Lakers game was, you know, pretty intense as well. So in the last week, we saw some flashes of what it, the good old days, I think, of Gamebridge Fieldhouse, where, you know, fans are, you know, living and dying on every shot in the fourth quarter. And, you know, the, the players get a boost of energy because of the home crowd. And we, I think we discussed it on our season preview podcast, wondering the impact of playing at home with fans to playing on the road with fans that are not cheering for you. And it's probably been, uh, it's impacted this team maybe as much, if not more than any team in the NBA. And so that's one of the things, as you said, that they've got to get figured out is the road. But the good news is they don't have to worry as much about that this month. So see what happens in these next six games. Uh, see where you're at around Christmas. But I do think that, Anything could happen, and the season really could go in any direction. So I don't want anybody to uh, finish listening to this podcast and not think that, you know, sideline guys, Pat and Jeremiah, glass half full reporters are not aware or feeling some of the same things that you are feeling. And I would say, you know, I can pretty confidently say that some of the frustrations the fans are feeling, that, that we are feeling, they're being felt in the Ascension St. Vincent Center as well. I mean, they expected to be better than 9-14. and 14. They still expect this to be a team that is in the mix there and competing in the playoffs. I don't think that there is anybody that doesn't think that, that didn't think that in the offseason and doesn't still think it's possible. But for every game you play, that's one less game you have left in front of you, and there's that much less time to make up ground and maybe the final thought that I have on this, you know, maybe a more abbreviated sideline guys podcast is that the East is really good. The NBA is really good. I mean, there are basically, are there two teams in each conference that you look at and say, maybe they're focused on the future and you play well, you'll beat them. And one of those teams already did beat the Pacers and that's the Pistons. But would you say magic Pistons 
Rockets Thunder. Other than that, it's yep. tough. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I think the bottom of the NBA has just really come up. Like, you just don't see the gimme games. I was, I was like, I don't think the Pacers, unless I glanced incorrectly, the Pacers don't play Orlando uh, for the first time until February. So um, some of these games against these teams closer to the bottom of the NBA, the Pacers don't have a ton of them in the front half of their schedule. It, of course, comes close to uh, all evening out by the time the season comes to an end. But um, you know, that, that's been a dynamic, too. And then your one opportunity you have had to play one of those teams, which uh, was Detroit, you weren't able to take advantage of. So, yeah, I think it's a big two weeks here coming up. Um, I, I, there's still some weirdness, though. Like, as I look at as you look at the standings, uh, the Pacers are nine and 14 and their point differential is plus one point three. Washington is 13 and eight and their point differential is almost even. It's zero point one. So, like, the Pacers have scored more than they've given up at a better clip than Washington, who's 13-8. and eight. It's just those close games that have held them back. So, you still do see some weirdness, even though you're 23 games into the year, that will likely smooth um, itself out. Like, if you look in previous seasons at the point differential, by the end of the year— it pretty much ends up being in line with the standings. Uh, you know, last year, the team that was best in point differential was Milwaukee. They actually had the third best record, but of course went on to win the title. So maybe a precursor there. Philadelphia with the best record had the second best point differential. Brooklyn with the second best record had the third best point differential. Then it was Nixon, Atlanta, right in line with the standings. Uh, Miami was seventh. They had the sixth seed. Boston was sixth. They had the seventh seed. So by the end of the year, the point differential pretty much mimics the standings right now. You're still seeing a lot of weirdness with it. Um, if you, if you sort by point differential, the Pacers are the seventh best team in the East. So your hope is that that is, you know, the version of the team that the Pacers are, they've got some catching up and some work to get there. Um, but that they are more like, you know, a team that will be in contention for one of those top six spots. Um, but, until they start closing out, you know, some of these games on the road better, unfortunately you're going to see that disparity. So, you know, there are things as we kind of started this podcast, there are signs of optimism for this team um, and what they can accomplish. But so far we haven't seen the Pacers, um, you know, be able to take the next step, at least as it relates to those road games. And fortunately, uh, as we have discussed, no road games coming up in the next two weeks and plenty of chances to catch the Pacers at the Fieldhouse. I know you and I very much have looked forward to and have enjoyed having uh, fans back in the building in that loud environment and really the difference it does make. Um, I, I think the Pacers were something like 23 and thir- uh, 13 and 23 at home last year, and it, it's certainly a very different vibe and environment in there. So, you know, if you're a Pacer fan listening to this right now, um, you know, you, you're trying to make up some ground here in the next two weeks. Like, you literally can be a part of this, this home court advantage and trying to push the Pacers back. Um, into a more favorable position in the standings. And I would say if you go, you're going to be entertained. I mean, let's just look at the games coming up. You know, Hawks, yeah. just in the next four, Hawks, Heat, Wizards, Knicks, all teams playing really well. And then is it Pistons, Warriors to, to wrap up the six-game homestand, I do believe. I mean, that's the, the first four. If you just focus in on those, I mean, those are teams that have high expectations, play hard, are playing well, are above the Pacers in the standings. And they've got, you know, people that, you know, in addition to, you know, going to cheer for the Pacers, 
people worth watching. And Trey Young is a, a phenomenal basketball player. And the Heat, man, that rivalry between the Pacers and Heat, I think it's still alive and strong. And to me, there's no team that I enjoy seeing the Pacers beat more than the Miami Heat. So let's see, let's see what it's like on a Friday night downtown Indianapolis, take a look at the uh, circle of lights or anything else that you want to do to be festive in the holiday season. Um, and then, you know, uh, Knicks, Wizards, you got payback in mind to me. You owe the Wizards, not just for last season, but then for the way um, week one loss to Washington. So I, I'm i frustrated as I record this podcast. I kind of got up a little grumpy. But when it's going to be game day on Wednesday and Friday and moving forward, there are enough reasons to still be excited. Um, so that's I guess that's my only uh, it's not a plea. I, I think fans can feel however they want to feel. And at this point, um, if you're if you're watching a lot of the games and you're going to the games, you have every right to be upset at times, especially with some of the, the third or fourth quarters and some of the finishes to games. Um but I still think there's some opportunity for both entertainment and success in the month of December. And by the way, they do have Detroit coming up at home, but it's just after that six game stretch. So it's Dallas in there. So your point about entertaining, yeah, yeah, your point about entertaining opponents is, uh, is very good. Dallas and then golden state, the Pacers then go to Milwaukee and come back for that Detroit game. So yeah, plenty of good opportunities uh, to be in the building, catch interesting opponents in the next couple of weeks, pacers.com slash tickets. Uh, and while you are on that page, check out the holiday plan. This is the perfect gift, even if you want to gift it to yourself. Uh, games, let's see, two in January, two in February, one in March, and a free fleece blanket is included with that. Uh, five great games, a free gift, the holiday plan. It's actually presented by Valley Sports, too, so that's worth noting. Uh, Pacers.com slash tickets. You'll see that plan on the front of your screen. Any final thoughts from you before we wrap this up? Sorry that I feel like I failed. I normally have the schedule pretty well memorized, but since I'm not traveling, I do feel like I kind of, <laughs> I've gone more two or three games at a time than, than yeah. having that whole month figured out. So yeah, it, this is a six game homestand that is worth paying attention to. And the other thing that maybe will help the players, I think it's going to help me from a mental perspective. I don't know about you, but do we have, does, do the, does this team have three straight weekends with no games? I mean, yes. or is it four? I mean, it's um, like no Saturday, no Sunday, this week, next week, and the following, and then you've got Christmas coming up. I'm not sure actually how that all falls with the 26th. Is a so Sunday, Sunday the 26th is a Sunday. But, yes, you have a Sunday 8 o'clock game. But, yeah, I mean, you, t- you want to talk about oddities of the schedule. The Pacers have been – this has been maybe – say I wasn't here for an, any lockout seasons, but save any shortened seasons like that. Um, you'd have to go back. Maybe the COVID year last year was was this condensed. But it is just so condensed, and the Pacers have played more than anyone. I think only Charlotte's played as many games as the Pacers have. And then you're going to get into December and go three straight weeks without a weekend game. I, I can't remember ever having two straight weeks without a weekend game, uh, right. unless it was yeah. around the All-Star break. So, yeah, very odd. But, uh, you know, some, some time off for the players who enjoy their weekends. And, uh, well... I'll work any game, any day, any time, any place. Um, I'm not going to complain about an occasional Saturday, Sunday off. Well, you're probably, unlike me, you actually pay attention to what day it is because of Pacers Weekly always being on a Sunday. But I get to the point where, you know, people always, I think it's funny, there'll be certain people that I'll see once a month, uh, you know, the the woman that cuts my hair and a few other people, what are you, what are you guys doing this weekend? And I'll be like, or, you know, what are you guys, what are you doing over Thanksgiving? Like, well, I'm working. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> it's not my, 
you know, and even back when I worked at the, you know, Fox 59, I'd have my Monday and Tuesday would be my weekends. And it'd still be, what, what are you doing this weekend? It's like, well, I'm working. <laughs> but I, and I'm not complaining. Like, it's just, yeah. I've accepted that. And to me, whenever you're off, that's your weekend, right? It doesn't really matter. It's not where I'm kind of past the point of if I was to go out, it wouldn't be like I needed to go out to see you know, a club full of people. Um, if, I, if I wanted to go out, I could go out on a Tuesday or a Thursday. I'm past that point too, by the way. <laughs> Not that, you know, that's what I'm looking forward to this month, but I am kind of excited about some holiday weekend time and, and maybe trying to do something a little festive and fun with the family. So uh, yeah, I've been looking forward to December. I, I don't think we go into the month on the high note uh, that anyone had hoped for, but you did exit November 500. So it could have been worse. And I do think there is a sense of urgency to see what happens on the upcoming homestand. We'll see a big two weeks upcoming. JJ and I will be there to cover it with you here on radio, on television, of course, on this podcast. I've been teasing it for a couple of weeks. We will have uh, a player hopefully very soon and potentially even, I haven't, I haven't even discussed this with you, but I got an email yesterday potentially with uh, a former Pacers, uh, I think you could call him a legend. We'll keep it quiet just in case we don't end up getting it. But perhaps a, a former Pacer great, certainly a great, um, could be joining us on this podcast in the next couple of weeks as well. And I do have one additional highlight of the homestand. And I only saw this through social media. I've not seen any internal memos or documents. But uh, former podcast guest, Kid Quill. Do I understand he's going to be making a halftime show appearance at Gamebridge Fieldhouse? Good call. Uh, he is. I want to say, is it the December 8th game? That's, uh, what's in yeah. my, that's what is in my head as well. Yeah, good point. I'm glad uh, I'm glad you brought that up because Kid Quill has joined this podcast. He is a, a local artist that um, was on, I can't remember when that was, maybe a year ago or so, but... He's out in L.A. He's coming back. He's a diehard Pacers fan. If you want to learn more about him, he's an interesting guy. Just you know, search back in the podcast archives, and I'm sure you can find it. But he'll be performing uh, a concert at halftime. So if, I think it's December 8th. If you're going to that game or if you, if you are a Kid Quill fan and want to go to the game and, and watch him, uh, that's obviously another enticing reason to show up. I'm, I'm, I'm very confident that December 8th is the game, and that's a Knicks game. And I think it's also a, a City Edition game, mixtape theme so there will be a lot of reasons to to get off your couch and make your trek to downtown indianapolis for that wednesday night game um kid quill performing it'll be odd not seeing any frisbee dogs or balancing chairs or anything else at halftime uh, i'm okay by the way that there's no more balancing chairs that guy is the source of my anxiety that that <laughs> older gentleman who climbs up 10 chairs and stands on his hands uh, I, I want no part of that. You don't want to be the guy that hands him the chairs? The oh, my gosh, no. Could you imagine? God, oh, that, that's, that's like one of the most pressure-filled jobs in the world. I feel like there's an invisible net somewhere that if he would fall, that would catch him. But I don't ever – I there obviously isn't. I mean, it's uh, risky. I don't see one. He's done a ton of he's, – he's done tons of Pacers games. He's even done a couple Fever games. I just look down and hope to not hear any – <laughs> any noises that I, <laughs> I don't want to hear because that that man is so impressive and entertaining uh but yeah a little too much anxiety for for my likes so. yeah it just goes on so nonchalantly like so many other <laughs> things are kind of going on it's like oh yeah yeah, yeah. Over mid-court and there's a guy 60 year old man on balancing on chairs it's like <laughs> it's <laughs> impressive <laughs> 
It's impressive. All right, that'll wrap it up for this week. Uh, for JJ, I'm Pat again. Pacers.com slash tickets. Tons of games. Let's see you there. If you see one of us, yell at us, scream at us. Uh, we will wave back. Um, always good to hear and see from our podcast listeners in the arena as well. For JJ, I'm Pat. That'll wrap it up for this week on the Sideline Guys, powered by GameBridge. <laughs>